And I'd go back a step further is, you know, I learned this from the fundraising school is donors give because of linkage, interest and ability. It's really based on those three factors. So the answer always to let's go solicit from a board member. The questions like, hey, we should go find Bill Gates and he will donate to us or, you know, Warren Buffett. But it's the answer is our donors are in our databases. How do we nurture? How do we utilize analytics? How do we use data to be able to build and grow that individual? Welcome to the Responsive Nonprofit Podcast, brought to you by Virtuous. Responsive nonprofits are the organizations thriving in today's ever-changing fundraising landscape, leading with innovation to grow giving and impact. Join us each week in spirited conversation with the leading voices across philanthropy, fundraising, and nonprofit technology. Subscribe on your favorite station or visit us over at www.virtuous.org backslash podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Responsive Nonprofit Podcast. This week, we have a special conversation that we're actually revisiting based on the Giving USA report from this year. We hosted a conversation where nonprofit professionals discuss the data-driven strategies that we can learn based on the findings from the report. We were joined by Nathan Chappelle, SVP at DonorSearch, Eric Tamales, Chief Evangelist and Director of Business Development here at Virtuous, Jason Wiseman, SVP of Technology at Honor Health, and Mina Das, a technology consultant for the nonprofit space. And before we kick off our conversation, I am pleased to be welcomed by our very own Eric Tamales, who's going to give us a little bit of a teaser into how the conversation unfolded. Eric, welcome. Hey, hey, Brian. How are you? I'm excited to get this conversation going. The uh... This webinar was unique in its fact about the Giving USA report. Most of the Giving USA webinars I've attended, I participated both in the nonprofit as well as over here on our technology side here at Virtuous has just been, you know, we talk about the report and then we have chief development officers talk about the impact of the, you know, the sector and everybody and from the donor standpoint. We wanted to approach it a little bit differently in this conversation, and we brought the technologists as well as the analytics to the table. And so Jason Weissman, uh, he, to be honest, if anyone is out there, I want to He's amazing. You know, he's amazing, but he's the only person that has a senior vice president title in analytics, and he's sitting at the chief seat for the organization. I haven't seen anyone else in our industry that has that type of title and is actually mm. at the table helping drive generosity for nonprofit organizations. And so he came at it from a, a data standpoint, but Mina, oh my gosh, Mina Das is probably one of the most intelligent technologists in our field. And she just threw knowledge bombs throughout the entire webinar. I was writing notes down, trying to take everything. So really intent conversation uh, coming from a different lens, basically focusing on that data-driven strategies for our nonprofits. I don't know why I was there because I am a little bit data, but I'm more nonprofit, (laughs) but it was amazing to, to be a part of it, so. I, I love it. And I love that we're taking a modern approach, right? Like modern nonprofits are are pivoting into responsive strategies and, a resp- and are taking a responsive fundraising approach to build deeper. And, and what I like to say is hyper-personal relationships with donors. And so we can't have a conversation about the state of giving without in tandem having a conversation about how tools and technology factor into how we actually build relationships with those donors. So I love the the niche positioning that you all took with this conversation. And without further ado, we're going to get to it. So tune in now for our incredible conversation with Nathan, Eric, Jason, and Mina on the data-driven strategies for the nonprofit sector based on the Giving USA 2023 report. This episode is brought to you by Virtuous. Ready to get more responsive and increase your mission's generosity in 2023? Download the Virtuous Dynamic Campaign Starter Pack and get exclusive access to everything you need to create dynamic donor journeys and responsive multi-channel fundraising initiatives to engage new donors. Visit virtuous.org slash LP slash dynamic to download your copy today. That's virtuous.org slash LP slash dynamic. 
Hey team, good morning, good afternoon, good evening from all over the United States of joining us for this fantastic topic. If you've been a part of a virtuous conversation before or webinar, you've probably seen me speak here and there. As I share a lot with folks is I am a recovering fundraiser and I'm serving the nonprofit on this side of the house with Virtuous. But, you know, when I sat in the chair as executive for my nonprofit, I circled the date every year of wanting to see what's going on in the Giving USA and what the philanthropic topic was for the past year. And I'm so excited for the people that we have here today to talk a little bit about what we've seen from this sector from this past year. With that, I'd love to kick it off to Nathan. Thanks, Eric. And uh, there's no wonder why Eric and I are good friends. I am Nathan Chappelle. I am the Senior Vice President of Donor Search, where I lead the AI division for a lot of the top nonprofits in the country. Also, you know, spent 20 years in the fundraising seat, raising money for a lot of great causes. And also every year, I would circle the date, block off my calendar, mm-hmm. and just dive deep into the Giving USA report. Starting back, I think my fascination started with the report around 2010 when the giving pledge was created by Warren Buffett and Bill Gates. So I think everything that we're going to talk about today is going to be really this culmination of not just the 2022 data within the report, but really the subcontext of how technology and data overlay with that report and that data, essentially to show like how are nonprofits adjusting to this, adapting to the changing landscape of giving overall. And so we'll take a little bit of time today to give you an overview of the report and then dive deep in with our panelists to talk about their initial reactions. Since this is all brand new for a lot of people, just kind of absorbing the data for the first time, you're going to get a lot of gut reaction and initial kind of musings about how this report feels today. So we'll pass it over to Jason Weissman to introduce himself and then to Mina Das. Yes, hello everyone. Grateful to be here. My name is Jason. So I'm the SVP of Technology and Data Analytics with Honor Health Foundation. But after a couple decades as a fundraiser, kind of all things technology and data flow, I'm just going to continue on with the Geek Out session with Eric and Nathan in the sense that I mark this calendar. I like to dig in deep and I'm just grateful to be here to be a part of the conversation. And I'll pass it over to Mina. Thanks, Jason. Hi, everybody. I'm Mina Das. I am the founder and consultant speaker for my practice, Namaste Data. The sole why or purpose of my work that I feel after 15 years of working for technology and data is how can we do good with data while bringing both lived and learned experiences? So obviously, I became friends with Nathan to talk about how can we do good with data and AI. And I'm very excited and great to be in this conversation to keep asking and nerding out on the fact all these numbers and percentages that we would be seeing today, what's the gut feeling? Are we going to make the best use of that and find good opportunities out of that? And I'm excited to be here for all those questions. Back to you, Nathan and Eric. I love it. Well, and I don't know if anyone realized and heard the people that we have around the table today are very much from the analytics side. And Nathan and I, we've talked about this nauseum of just having so many individuals at the front of the house of our nonprofits leading the charge, having data drive our strategy, having strategy lead our careers, creative, creative, providing those results and the impact for our organizations. And I appreciate both Mina and Jason to be here. Both of you guys are leading the analytics for your organizations and for the industry. And we need more folks just focusing on the data. Yeah, that would be my hope too, Eric. I would get a lot more friends. Well, with that, I want to jump into some of the ideas. Nathan and I, we were strategizing this this morning. We know that a lot of the Giving USA report was launched yesterday. So there was a whole host of, as he shared, a bunch of webinars and messaging throughout the internet about what the results are. But we want to take the first five or 10 minutes to just do a high-level overview of the 10 key points that came out of the Giving USA report from this past year. And as you guys can see right here on our screen, immediately as you see that, you know, Giving declined from last year to this year. You know, and it's identifying the fact that it went from 500 116 billion dollars in 2021 to this year about 499 billion dollars with a b i got to say that again with a b billion it's just half a trillion this past year and now we're at 499 billion dollars this year and for all giving from the united states the second component that came out of this was the economic challenges that have came out We've seen a decline in our S&P 500. We've seen the disposable income decline. We've seen inflation increase at the highest rate ever in the past 40 years. And despite all these challenges, that there were some bright spots, that there was the GDP grew 
unemployment reached one of the lowest rates. All this is affecting the idea of giving to nonprofit organizations in our landscape this past year. Number three was giving by foundations is growing as a share of total giving. The fact that when you look at 1982 and that source of where the funding was given to versus today in 2022, the thing that we jump out at immediately looking at the foundations was 5% giving in 1982. And in 2022, 40 years later, it's now at 21%. So think through all those individual givers in the individual face are now pushing all their funding and into the donor advised funds, family foundations, all those different components there. The fourth is our sources of giving is now mixed results, right? Like, so all the different places where folks are giving from are coming from different directions. Bequest giving is tend to become more volatile than large and in the past. Corporations and foundations are experiencing a positive two-year growth, even when adjusting for inflation. And then all four sources of giving has declined in that 40-year high inflation rate. Number five is the giving by individuals experienced declines over the past two of the most generous giving years on record. The giving by individuals disposable income has tied to total household income, which is a key determinant of how households are given. In many cases, how much households give depends on their spendable or disposable personal income. And as fact, you can see here is individual giving as a percentage of disposable income was 1.7% in 2022, where in previous years, it was one8 of disposable. Number six is giving by corporations performed more strongly in current dollars amid unusual economic conditions. So you can see that current dollars on the fact that it's increasing, this is adjusted for inflation, that corporations are performing more strongly today than they have in previous years. And it's identifying because corporations have the strongest growth rate of all four sources in current rate as the adjusted rate was 3.4%. As well, corporate giving as a percentage of pre-tax dollars remained at that 0.9%. Number seven is given our fact of some of the subsectors decline for highs reached in pandemic area. This was not a surprise to a lot of individuals that prepared in the pandemic. You can see that education, human services, environment, animal welfare actually decreased from year over year from the pandemic to where we are in current dollars. We've been putting a lot more efforts this past year into religion and foundations and health and human services. International affairs have actually increased to 10.9% year over year. Number eight is some sectors grew, but not enough to outpace the inflation. Given the religion, health and arts and communication and cultures, organizations grew in current dollars, but declined when adjusted for inflation. All three of these subsectors reached their highest inflation adjusted levels in the pandemic era and giving to health and arts posted strong two year growth, even when adjusted for inflation. Number nine is, like I said earlier, is our grieving to international affairs have actually outpaced inflation. You can see that we actually increased 10.1% for foundations and 10.9% for international affair modes. And then the last one is we want to talk about the resilience and the innovation, which leads into a lot of the conversations that we have here at Virtuous and Donor Search is the resilience of the pandemic area will continue to serve nonprofits and how we are growing and evolving. You can see that mobile giving and devices are giving at a higher rate This past year, that 75% of surveyed Gen Z and millennial donors are reported giving to charities now online. We're now trying to build a pipeline of future donors and sustaining existing donors and adapting to this new technology of giving tools such as AI and ChatGPT are being able to grow and to be able to help nonprofits go forward. So with that, I would love to be able to stop sharing my screen, but, you know, I'd love to just keep that at a high level, ask the questions in the chat, and let's be able to have this discussion where we're going. Awesome. Thanks, Eric, for leading that. I know it's a lot of information. (laughs) Drinking through the fire hose. This is what we do, right? I mean, every year the preliminary data comes out. The full report will actually come out in July and then we'll get super nerdy because we'll go through all the footnotes and all those things and like come back with a more detailed analysis. But really, you know, today is about understanding kind of the more macro kind of perspective of like, well, where did giving land in 2022 in the midst of inflation and on the tail of COVID and where are we at? We started seeing some signs of this in Q4 of 2022 with the fundraising effectiveness project data showing that for the first time, while number of donors have gone down repeatedly for 20 years in a row, that for the first time since 2012, dollars also went down. So we saw that in Q4 2022, and we thought, well, maybe this is going to be a preview or a highlight of what is going to show up in the Giving USA data. Sure enough, it did. And before we come in and go and bias any of the conversation too much, for Mina and, and for Jason, just did you have any 
initial reaction to the report when you first saw it? I know that you've only just seen it. So did it feel like more of the same or was there any surprises in that? How about Mina? You want to go first? Sure, I can go first. I think that you've seen the report and you're right. I saw it two days ago. You shared with us and, you know, as part of the giving you a team. And I think my reaction generally was that it was one of gratefulness. I mean, we still covered half a trillion. There are still people who, you know, couldn't afford a lot of things. We are in uncertain times and we are still showing up for our nonprofit sector, which is great. It was kind of gratefulness. And the second piece was, I think we need to continue building our trust and relationships. It goes back to that same core underlying principle. And I took read these numbers in the sense as if we are in a car. So assume we are in a car and we are going from point A to point B. If we see some numbers coming up on dashboard, that's only our way to adjust our speed or adjust our lane or something as we are moving. It doesn't make us stop until we are at the point B. And our point B is when we see the change in the world in supporting our communities. And until then, these numbers are only going to enablers and they can't scare us. They can help us to adjust our speed, but they are not stopping us. That was my question. Real quick before Jason, you jump in, you said something that really struck me because that whole idea of being grateful, because this is where I struggle personally, because I see this as like an amazing display of American generosity, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, a half a trillion dollars, like how can we not be like over the moon and happy and supportive? And then I actually feel like the bigger jerk having written a book called The Generosity Crisis, you know, showing that there's more behind that number. Right. And so, like, it doesn't feel good because at the end of the day, I want to celebrate with everyone else. Be like, yes, the largest two years in the history of American philanthropy we just were on the heel of, which is really great. But at the same time, I think as practitioners, I know for me, 20 years in the field, it felt different than that. And it felt different boots on the ground, which I essentially was trying to raise more money from less people every year you know, it felt different than the report. Maybe that was always my fascination of the report of like, why doesn't this feel like how I feel every day when I'm going to work and trying to grind it out and raise more money from less people? So Jason, how about you? So especially from a healthcare lens, I'll just say, of course, coming through the last couple of years, of course, from COVID and care and all those things that changed what we were doing. So living through it and then, you know, living through inflation and just personally, you know, experiencing this, it's not. So the news is not terribly shocking. Although my mind kind of moves to two different, I don't know, I guess lenses through which to kind of look at longer term. It's just like when you think about fewer yeah. people giving more in the last handful of years, I look at the long term, like retention is not a conversation that's going away. And it's a very active longer term conversation. But in the shorter term, the health system internally, we've been having these active conversations of what do we just come through? Where are we going? And so thinking about specifically expanding in particular areas and being thoughtful about geography. I know nationally, many healthcare foundations are having to reduce their budgets. Gratefully, we're not in that space. But even with healthcare generosity in the last handful of years, totally expecting a dip, right? It's more about this short-term, okay, where are we? This longer-term retention thoughtfulness of that's kind of been just an alarm going off in the background. So the numbers aren't shocking just from that personal lens, but it causes us to double down. And I'm grateful that we're really having intentional retention conversations and growth conversations in light of what we've all been experiencing. Jason, I'm going to double down on that because I just think through that ad nauseum. I remember sitting in your chair and my health system was we were looking at it year over year revenue, right? Like we're like, hey, we raised more money this year than we did last year. That's great. And everything else. But like to Nathan's point, like seeing this generosity crisis this isn't a surprise to us, but it's like, how many donors did we retain from last year to this year? Yeah. You know, are they new people this year? Are they old people last year? How are we doing the second gift strategy and, and everything else? And that's, I agree. I think I see this is not surprising to me looking at the numbers, hearing from friends out there in the field this past year. But I just wonder what's going on in the actual number of donors to organizations rather than just the revenue. So let's dive into that a little bit more even. Like I think for the most part, and I think a lot of people that will be on this call are here from technological perspective of like, what does this data mean to me, you know, on a day to day? Right. And so the context on this in terms of individual giving where a lot of fundraising lives. Right. So, of course, foundations and corporations, those are not insignificant and you know, continue to be really important parts of the pipeline. But still, the bulk of the pipeline where most fundraising is just in terms of numbers is around individual giving. Individual giving has changed dramatically. As I shared before, there's been 20 years in a row decline in the number of households that participate. And it really doesn't take a lot of math to figure out every year 
So this year, actually, I think it was about $49 million less in individual giving was given. So if we take $49 billion, sorry, it's yeah. much more. Well, much worse than forty-nine. <laughs> um, yeah, forty-nine point one billion. So thirteen point four percent adjusted for inflation in terms of less dollars. Those just sound like numbers, right? But let's talk mm-hmm. about like when you take those percentages and you apply it to an average gift size of two hundred thirty-nine dollars, which is what we compute around fourteen billion dollars in transactions every day. Our average gift size for the whole nation is two hundred thirty-nine dollars. So that $49.1 billion less in individual from individuals last year in 2022 at $239 average gift size, it means there's 205 million fewer gifts made last year. So overall, 205 million fewer gifts made. Now let's spin over to technology and data. Because if I think about the really, truly, the only way to overcome or to boost our way out of a generosity crisis of this nature of like less people giving less. It's really about leveraging technology and Mm -hmm. data well, responsibly. We'll always Mm -hmm. have to use the word responsibly. So at the end of the day, organizations are raising typically more money every year from people every year. How have both, you know, me and Jason, you seen the role of tech data and responsible technology. We don't even talk about AI helping organizations overcome this because those are great odds to move against. Like every day waking up, knowing that you're raising more money from less people, that's rough. Like, so doing what we've always done obviously doesn't work. So how is data and technology able to, or is it able to help organizations think differently and overcome some of those negative trends? Jason, do you want to go first? (laughs) Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, that's not a challenging question whatsoever, Nathan. That's not, <laughs> not staggering. Uh, well, you can solve all the world's problems. Right? Yeah. yeah. So kind of thinking through the question, I think, so my mind goes a couple of different places. So I'll point to a couple of different things and we can certainly unpack them more. But one thing specific on our health, but I don't think it's unique. It, of course, it is healthcare and as kind of the systems that I work in. But I think it's universal in the sense that before just working to attack the pipeline, right? We want to fill it. We want to move it. We have to overcome this. But first and foremost, I think just gaining a consistent conversation around the culture of philanthropy, right? The benefit, the meaning, the intent, the purpose. So like in particular in in healthcare, we have a lot of stakeholders. Of course, everybody's very thoughtful about healthcare philanthropy coming out of the last couple of years, but we've been really leaning into technology, right? Visualization, dashboards, discussions, so that everyone is kind of rallying around philanthropy really is the margin of excellence. And this is how we're going to advance going forward. It's not just healthcare, right? Transparency is a big part of the conversation and in building relationship, but technology and data in particular have been very vital in making sure everyone is aligned around a culture of philanthropy. What does it mean? How is everyone going to play a role, a vital role at differing levels in what we're doing? Of course, that's more broadly in the ecosystem than very specifically, of course, changing our tactics and strategies and approach to try to turn the corner. And just to pull that thread real quick, Jason, does that, from your perspective, does that mean that everyone in an organization now, we've always said this idea, right? Like everyone's a fundraiser. If you're an admin or you're entering gifts, everyone's a fundraiser. But I don't think it's always been equal in our world from the ops, business intelligence and the fundraising side. There's always been this like weird disparity. In your opinion, is that, creating a more equilibrium between like, okay, everyone in the organization now needs to understand data. Everyone in the organization plays a role in making decisions using that data. And therefore it becomes part of that feedback loop. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the change that we've started seeing just by bringing those. So everyone is a fundraiser, but when you are in times of compression, right, as we've been trending for a longer period of time, amplified in the short term and with this report in this year, everyone has this keen awareness that we need to be lean, we need to be efficient and effective. And so therefore, the opportunity to present that data, to really look at where we've been, where we've been performing, again, retention, just like anything, is a wonderful kind of global analytic, but then there's always subcomponents, right? So we have employee base and thinking about engaging, right, our employees and you name it, there's a whole host of different nonprofits are going to have their different kind of categories. But really kind of pushing the data into those conversations. So is we're not just reacting, mm-hmm. but we're actually assessing. And so technology and data have been really important 
first steps to educating so that we can all find the similar alignment of, okay, if we want to fill and move the pipeline, what are our metrics right now? Does everyone understand the definition of those metrics? And even more importantly, unpacking some of those subcomponents. And so everyone is, there's more alignment and I'm grateful for that. Well, and I feel like I'm the oddball out amongst the, the four of us where I am primarily coming from the face-to-face fundraising side of major giving and asking for those six, seven, eight figure gifts. And a lot of people in my space are like, oh, I'm the best person in the fundraising shop and nonprofit because I just closed a $4 million gift. But the reality is all the data, the analytics, the people that answer the front desk phone call, the people who put the right prospect in the portfolio, we all need to change our way of operating our own organization of where attribution and how we support each other and how we all need to be on the same page to your point, Jason, where you know you guys are just as equal as the frontline people that are outside representing the organization. Mina, we okay. probably took a couple different paths there. So maybe you bring um, it back or go. I'm, in I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to hold all the threads, all the good threads. And I agree <laughs> with a lot of them. I will share the, what I'm seeing from my clients and from my work. I work with a lot of small and mid-sized nonprofits. And what I'm seeing is, and what I try to tell them and educate them on is your data is about the people. What we are collecting are the people outside in the community. They include donors, they include volunteers, they include board members. And so the, what we have right now, we need to see it with the lens that these people, we all are coming out of pandemic, which is a very good one to think. It's not a common event, a common traumatic event. And so we are coming out of a very unique experience, which was traumatic. We are all coming out of pandemic and then war and then recession and then border, like what's going to happen with taxes and whatnot. There are many things right now happening that's affecting our individual households. So that data about people is getting affected with with a lot of situations outside that's out of our control in the world. So what I try to tell my nonprofits is look at that data with that lens and start building relationships. So the purpose of that data is to build relationships, is to build trust with the community. And how do you do that? After understanding that they are not just the numbers. And an example of that that turns into my work is not just looking at what we have in the data to start analyzing it. So for example, you know, fundraisers went out and did for this one nonprofit a survey on mental health for BIPOC individuals in Canada here as a survey. And now we are analyzing all those things, all those people who did not respond to those surveys. So everything that did not collect, everybody who were approached to and invited in that data collection but were not included. So what can we find in that space? So taking a different lens to understand data, who are our people, what are, can we find who are not included in our dashboards and our metrics and our reports and how can we deal with that? And as for technology, I think technology is an enabler. It has always been an enabler with the right purpose, with the right why we can use it again to go back to our relationships. All of us are in this sector to build relationships, to invite others, to join us in our dreams. And I think technology can do that. And I know we have a question somewhere ahead, like how, you know, is there an example? And I want to share a really good example of a small nonprofit who's trying to leverage AI in um, an actual example of how they're building relationship with it. So I'll get to that good part. I'll keep that part for later. But yes, I think data does ha- play a role in what we do. And it's really an enabler in our work to connect with people around us. How much of this do you think is within an organization, kind of either generational or cultural, in terms of like the things that you're talking about, leveraging and prioritizing, even more than leveraging, just like prioritizing the idea of data and technology to address things like raising more money or boost retention? When we think about 1.5 million nonprofits in the country, those that you're working with and those that you work for, so Jason and Mina, what are the key differentiators between an organization that understands this as like, we don't move forward as an organization if we don't prioritize these things and data and technology mainly versus I'm just going to do the same things I've done forever. Like, what's the difference culturally or from an organizationally from those that get it versus those that don't, in your opinion? I'll go first because I see Jason is thinking and coming up with a response and I'm almost sitting on the cusp of hot here. I think that with the data and culture, there are two pieces to it. Our individual relationship with data, and this is I talk a lot about, and our org-wide relationship with data. And it needs to start with the individual. Like individually, a lot of us think, okay, let's also collect this information. Let's also collect this data 
leave out this question at the end of the email or you do some passive data collection or we are individually, we feel, okay, I'm not a data person. Let me keep that for my prospect researcher. Let me keep that for my analyst. They'll get me the data. We need to first clean up that relationship with data individual. What do we want to do with that data? The education piece, what Jason was talking you know, a few minutes ago, that what these metrics, for example, what do they mean? Why are they there? Where are they coming from? Those individual relationships of our fundraisers, of our analysts, of our IT people, of our finance people, all those, they build the org-wide culture of org-wide. We get this, have this tendency, let's collect more or let's not collect. And, you know, if they're there in the system, a lot of data existing for volunteers, let that, for example, let that there be. But we need more purpose and clarity, and that has to be in these two levels. We can't just straight thing from the let's create a good org level culture of data. It has to start from individuals. Once we build that kind of clarity and keep working at it, I think org level wise, we also get to that part where we have more purpose and clarity. Jason, do you want to go next and share some more? <laughs> sure. So thinking about difference of culture, right, and data adoption, and just that's why I was just again with your first question of, well, we have an epic problem, a crisis. That's where it's just like I'm really grateful to have been in conversations where we're intentionally focusing on changing the organizational culture around technology and data and philanthropy. So, I mean, I've certainly been a part of organizations or participated and supported and volunteered where it wasn't. I think the thing that's times of stress, right, and compression cause, it forces alignment for those that will survive. I was thinking about this, you know, it used to be kind of the conversation where there's thousands of nonprofits, right? The competition is ever increasing. It's more dense, right? And this is true. It's not going away when we talk about, hey, should we run a campaign? Then you step back and go, how many tens or 20 or 30 other nonprofits in our immediate vicinity are also kicking off a major campaign, right? So I feel like we're kind of at that lynch point or I guess that strong pivot point inflection point where it's like between technology and AI and efficiencies. Then you have the relationship side. So as a fundraiser myself and thinking about portfolios and right, this is about trust and relationship. And that's the currency we're working in. Never more, people at large in the community expect to be known at all levels of the pipeline, right? They expect to be trusted, communicated with, stewarded. And I'm just thinking if there was tremendous competition in the past, we've like leveled up the competition like immensely. Uh And so everybody does need to be aligned around data. I'm grateful to have been a part of those conversations. And then it's like, okay, what are our measurements? How's our retention? Where is our acquisition? Eric, to your point, we're leaning into better analytics because when you have portfolios and then you get people involved in relational milestone giving, but then what happens when you have your most core people in multi-year pledging? Then you're like, everybody's got to be dialed in to technology data and its impact. So I feel like to your question, I'm sure cultures will exist where they don't embrace it, but I feel like we're at this moment now where it's like, we've got to level up against the competition. So we have to embrace it. Can't afford not to. Yeah. And I'd also double down with you, Jason, in the fact that like digging deeper into the report, how many 501c3s are accredited in the past 10 years? And 10 years ago, from where we were then to where we are now, it's an increase of about 450 brand new 501c3s in the Giving USA report. So of course, yeah, giving is going to go up because there's more nonprofits. But at the end of the day, like you just said, you have more competition locally. And I'd go back a step further is, you know, I learned this from the fundraising school is donors give because of linkage, interest, and ability. It's really based on those three factors. So the answer always to let's go solicit from a board member. The question is like, hey, we should go find Bill Gates and he will donate to us or, you know, Warren Buffett. But it's the answer is our donors are in our databases. How do we nurture? How do we utilize analytics? How do we use data to be able to build and grow? that individual growth. Yeah. And just to clarify, Eric, the 450,000, not 450. Sorry, 450,000. Yeah, that's yeah. another like million. Way million. worse. <laughs> Again, like the difference between I millions versus billions, like way, way worse, you know. And, right. and we were talking before this call, those organizations aren't just sending out mail anymore, right? They're all using multi-channel. So like email and text and postcards and mail mm-hmm. and everything else in between. And so like it's exponential in terms of that competition. So I love where this that you're highlighting, you know, the report to me, and it sounds like in Jason, you're sharing this as well, is that 
it exemplifies the need for change has never been greater. Like we can't continue to do the same thing and expect a different result. So I always, you know, from that perspective, it's been enough for me to say, you know what, we're never going to get there unless we pivot in a meaningful way. But the part that you're talking about, Mina, too, really hits home is that even with that, and I'm a technologist and we're all four of us are technologists. So like technologists can easily say, well, of course, technology is a tool, you know, to help us through that. But if we don't create a healthier relationship with our understanding of data individually and corporately, then really we're just going to be talking to ourselves. So I think, you know, part of this is is also our responsibility to share this information with others. I worry about our sector. I mean, I absolutely worry about, you know, our sector, even though generosity is this seemingly this all-time high, more and more of it is coming from ultra high net worth individuals. And so I wanted to go back. There's a question by Penny Harris, like earlier in the chat, it's so closely aligned to what we're talking about. This idea that, and we'll talk about individuals, and we'll talk about retention, we'll talk about mega gifts, but this idea that people are still giving, individuals are giving. What's really fascinating that I was on this call with international CDOs through this panel I was on, and one of the CDOs that was in Ireland said, I think with younger generations, they want to make an impact. They don't care how they do it. So Penny's conversation was like, individuals are generous. They're giving through DAFs, of course. They're giving through foundations. And the slide that Eric showed, it should be like, holy moly, like the one that showed from 1982 to the present, which is like the growth in number of foundations. To me, that is like completely emblematic of this idea that ultra high net worth people, the disparity of wealth is growing exponentially and that more people are creating foundations to at least in 1982, 5% of giving was two foundations. Now it's 21%. So really it's emblematic of this thing that ultra high net worth and high net worth people are creating foundations to steer their philanthropy through other means. So it doesn't mean that they're less generous, but it means that fewer people are controlling a bigger piece of the pie, essentially, is where that comes down. When we think about this idea, say younger generations don't really care what the tax status is of an organization, they want to make an impact. So GoFundMe processes one transaction per second, 24-7 largely, vastly, not through nonprofits. So if nonprofits were the amplifier of their generosity, people would give to the nonprofit. But they are feeling that the nonprofit is a barrier, so therefore easier to give to a neighbor or a friend or a community member to help them through GoFundMe. When we think about the evaluation of advanced technology, it's almost always through the lens of precision and personalization. So like, how does technology scale both precision and personalization? Because outside of that, like, who really cares? How, and Eric will be really interested because I know Virtuous spends so much time on this idea of responsive fundraising. How can then we overcome that? This feeling of like, the nonprofit's a barrier for me. It's just easier for me to give somewhere else. How can we use technology and data to increase precision and personalization to make the nonprofit an amplifier of generosity? Is that a fair question? Eric, why don't you go first? You spent so much of your world around this idea to like enable nonprofits to like help them in this regard. Like, let's start with you and then Mina and Jason can form their thoughts. I think the key concept is to go backwards, right? To identify who is in our database, right? Like who are the personas? What are they passionate about? Where are they coming from? What channel are they interested in? I think about my own family's giving. My wife gives through mail and checks. I'm an online giving person and I like mobile wallets. I like having the connection to a youth-based organization. She has other, like we all have our own different personas. And I think if we take as an organization and go a step back and start to identify who are prospects and who are in our database and utilizing data and analytic tools to be identify those personas, then we can build out appropriate channels and appropriate communication tactics to be able to grow generosity in the home exactly where they are, right? Frankly, I think we're accustomed to do that today. You look at Netflix, you look at Amazon, you look at Google. I'm here in Dallas right now and I took an Uber and the Uber knows the four places that I used to go to the last time I was here, right? Like we're just used to this type of forward thinking. And I think utilizing technology and analytics to be able to help do that for nonprofits will help grow that. So really that you're talking about the personalization side of it, right? And just like truly understanding the consumer behavior of an individual, and how they are best brought into an organization and fostered with that organization. Really, that's the essence of responsive fundraising. 
Right. You know, and it's like, I want my organizations that I support because giving is personal to me. I want them to send me a happy birthday. I want them to acknowledge my day to day. Right. Like yeah. Being aware of who we are rather than just corporate America sending me, you know, yeah. off coupon, whatever. I mean, you know, Starbucks whatever. has known my birthday for many years. You know, I mean, right. why have I very rarely, if any, ever get a note from a nonprofit doing the same, you know, so and clearly, Mina and Jason, I'm trying to solve all the world's problems. And you know, <laughs> so like, I think we're on track, actually. We're doing really well. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? It's kind of this against all odds thing that nonprofits have to make themselves relevant. They have to really find ways to understand people in that really deep, personal way. Either some tips on that or just some musings on kind of that idea. Okay. How about Mina, you go. And I'll follow you. Absolutely. <laughs> um... As Eric, you were responding, I was thinking from the point of view of my giving experience, like not the technologist point of view, not the analyst or this Namaste data point of view, but as someone who likes to give through online channels. And I give through online channels. I make my donations here in India, in you know different parts of the world for different causes. And just as someone who wants to make these gifts, I was trying to think of my experience, what prompts me? to not go and find a nonprofit for that cause first and then make the donation and instead make these through these GoFundMe kind of channels, which instantly allows me. And I think more than the ease of experience that here you go, click a button, make a gift. I think more than that, it's the feeling for me that I'm making an impact there. There's this transparency piece of the story, the transparency of how this so much of the dollars would be breakdown of where would each piece go and I'm instantly, no, I don't need to know very specifically, you know, what's going into my tax and what's going into the other components. But I really need to know the community is going to be impacted, the person, the human, the story, the emotions that's going to be there. And I want to feel those emotions. And that's what makes me instantly not go through the longer route of finding a nonprofit, but go through these channels, which allows me to make my gifts for the community more instantly. So I think the technology would and nonprofits specifically, how they can use technology as an enabler, building transparency of these work and offering those that this is where the story is. This is what we do. This is what you are showing up for the community. The more that two plus two equals to four, we can do that. The more I think people, anybody, any generation would be more willing and hopefully the younger generation, because they're right now at that point, would be willing to show up in more unique new ways for the community through the technology. So yeah, personalization is always there for sure. And then adding to that, this piece of building transparency that the trust can be built more, I would not say faster, but yeah, more easily. I can think that would be a good way. Well, and I think too, Mina, through the conversations I've had with other nonprofit leaders in the past six months, they're seeing a larger increase of major donors to organizations Mm -hmm. and a lot fewer low-level donors. So I think what you just said about taking those personalization, because frankly, I think through this, I think high net worth individuals are testing these nonprofits for how they communicate, how they message us, how they build relationships with us. This statistic that Nathan wanted to go back on is 40 years ago, the foundations were at 5%. Now they're at 21%. It's because they're not trusting the nonprofit. And I think we're not building those authentic relationships at the low level to be able to push forward to say, hey, I do want to give you instead of going through a gap or wherever it might be. It also, to me, is this trap, right? And it's painful when you spend 20 years fundraising and understanding the value of the entire pipeline. So like bringing people up through and it's really convincing low-level donors that their gifts, it's not about how much, it's about the impact that those gifts help make. And then in total, those gifts inspire other gifts. I've seen more and more, essentially because of this decline in individual giving, more and more people, organizations want to focus on high net worth and ultra high net worth individuals. I mean, we're talking about extremely finite pool, like 3,600 billionaires in the world, right? And so it's like, you've got a growth in number of nonprofits, so 1.5 million nonprofits using multi-channel. A lot of them are going, well, I'm just going to go after the really wealthy people. And by the way, only 49% of Americans give regardless of how wealthy they are. So like, we're setting ourselves up in a way to be uber competitive against each other, when at the end of the day, there are a lot more people in the world that want to... They want to align with an organization's mission, vision, and values so that they feel like they're part of it. And I think going back to like how data and technology, at least in my perspective, and there was a question from Jemima about segmenting donors the same way that Amazon does. So Eric, you said that it's like, this is the consumer expectation, right? That 
Starbucks knows me, Amazon knows me, Microsoft, others know me and milestones in my life and how I'd like to interact with things. How do nonprofits do that? And the reality is like, that's available. It's not built into all CRMs now, but Virtuous is built on that idea of really understanding people in multiple domains, right? And our work in AI is really built on essentially removing wealth from the equation, but understanding a person's connection, their depth of connection to an organization, the same exact way that Amazon does. So this is not something that's like five years or 10 years or 20 years away. Like this exists now, but it goes back to Mina's conversation about having a healthy relationship with data and Jason's point of understanding the importance of what happens if we don't do it. So I think it really is this confluence of a few things. It's like, look, there's never been a more important time. To me, the Giving USA report is just a further indication of ultra high net worth individuals are awesome. I mean, Mackenzie Scott, absolutely, truly amazing. But ultra high net worth individuals made up of 5% of all individual giving. And we're talking like this many people. This many people made up 5% of all individual giving. You can't admit that that's not a dangerous position to be in for our industry, because if markets change and things change and people pass and agendas change, that evaporates very quickly. And so at the end of the day, I did the math recently. So Mackenzie Scott, I think she gave $6 billion away, I think a total of 3,400 organizations in total, like since she started giving away her money, one-tenth of 1% of all nonprofits will benefit from that. So at the end of the day, building your entire strategy on this idea, well, that's our path. That's where we're going to go. We're going to focus on the top of the pipeline. It's a kind of a dangerous place to be in. So long kind of distilling that back down. Nathan, can I take a moment to share about one of my clients I'm starting I love to work it. with? Yeah. I would just share just this story because I haven't confirmed for the names. So I'm going to share a story instead. This is a food bank out of California. I'm working with them to again, see the numbers and how can data help them. And they are this piece that we just touched upon, this sort of competitive attitude or the scarcity mindset that we might get into, but how can we remain in our abundance mindset? This food bank came to me with the story that, you know, we started our program about 10 years ago and we have exponentially grown in the number of people we serve in the last 10 years. So there are a lot of people we serve and they had almost a little bit of a pride that, you know, we are doing our best and support community. But their leadership is at a point where they are questioning, is the number of people we are feeding growing in the last 10 years, is that really a good success indicator? Like, right. is it good that our community needs so many more people to be fed? And right. so where are the systemic barriers? So instead of taking pride in those numbers, they are trying to question, they're trying to understand those numbers, they're trying to challenge those numbers and go back to the right places and entities in the community to go and talk and bring it on the table and ask, what can we do next? It's doing things as they are, as always, like doing one more program and spending out, you know, however you do. I think that's, I can see a real game-changing way they are using the data to talk in the community. And I think that's what we need to be in the abundance mindset, to understand our data. Where is it coming from? How will it use? How is it supporting the community? And I think that's how it's going to enable us in our dreams. So I would love to piggyback on that concept. So, I mean, one of the things that's most exciting is when you think about healthcare and being proactive and the determinants of health, right? As it goes and as it affects a community and the population that then comes into the hospital. I love the conversation around sustainability, all these types of things that are so important because, right, we're all connected in a system of a community. And from a healthcare standpoint, that's extremely mm -hmm. relevant to go back to the question. Anyway, I mean, I just thought I was piggybacking on that. It's just, it's finding the relevance and the mission and connecting and communicating that to the population across the entirety of the pipeline. It's so dangerous just to get fixated on scarcity mindset. And right, you think about the transfer of wealth, even at the top of the pipeline, if you're not thoughtful about multi-generational engagement and stewardship and cultivation, Nathan, you said it, and I just will come back to it. It's like, if this report doesn't highlight it, if we haven't picked up on it already, it's like, now is the time to be thoughtful about personalization, about engaging and being relevant and communicating authentically with transparency across the entirety of the pipeline. And because resources are finite, there's only so many people, you have to pull in technology or AI that can help with drafting communications or moving data flows. We're at this point where to build right trust across the entirety of the pipeline in this challenging environment, it's just, 
it's no longer a nice to have. It's no longer, I'm just speaking for myself. It's no longer culturally appropriate to say it doesn't matter and we're not going to engage with it. It's like, we have to be aligned and now's the time to pivot or else we really are. Our missions and the people we serve are really at risk. Jason, I'm so glad you said that too. You broke down the transfer wealth because I think as we go to the generational thing and Nathan, you have multiple chapters in your book all about the generational giving and the difference and everyone looks at it differently. But I look back at this report, I'm going back to it right now. It's, you know, three fourths of survey Gen Z and millennial donors reported that they're giving online, yeah. which is just mind blowing. And so you think through this whole generation of where we're growing, we need to change our mindset today yeah. if we want to provide impact here locally at our own organizations. I love what you said, Mina, about enable us to have our dreams, right? And it's not competition of our or my health system versus your health system, Jason. At the end of the day, we need to embrace this opportunity for change and growth and focus in on these data and these technologies to be able to push it internally. And that's what's so special about our sector, right? I mean, I think it's, we hate to even use the word competition. And we would argue, and, and we talk about pretty extensively in the generosity crisis, is this idea that nonprofits aren't in competition with nonprofits. They are in the sense of there's finite resources. But the, really, the real competition for nonprofits is for profits. I mean, to your point, Eric, I bought a car on app. I engage on my phone for everything. Of like I didn't. Course you did. I mean, of <laughs> course, like, I, didn't, I literally didn't have to sign a single actual piece of paper. Like, and it was like life changing, you know. So this is the environment. So where the for-profit world understands how to leverage technology, both in that precision and the personalization of like meet people where they're at and how they want to engage. And I think this is really the wake-up call and the opportunity, really, for nonprofits to put away the competition. And together come up with more productive ways of, and this is where I want to lead, I think, our last conversation, to lead our industry into more healthy ways of evaluating success. And we've had lots of questions here that kind of touched on different aspects of this. But this idea that nonprofits essentially are trying to fill a bucket every year, a leaky bucket, if you will. Ellen Bristol talks about the leaky bucket in her book. And essentially, you like fill the bucket and some comes out of it and you got to fill it again, fill it again. I mean, this is 20 years of my career. How do we move beyond that? How do we move to indicators like, say, before we think about revenue, we think about retention. And really, if retention could be the metric of success for our organization, knowing that with solid retention, revenue comes. So how have you seen this? Like, I guess we can kind of end here. I do want to ask one last question of where you think technology is going. But like, let's talk about retention just for a second. And we have a couple of questions to catch up on the speaker chat. So, yeah. Oh, okay. Then we've got to catch up on that. Okay. Then let's do lightning round. Like, what's your view? Is it practical to think about retention becoming more pronounced way of how nonprofits are evaluated? I'll get on my soapbox and I'll say, absolutely. If it's not at the table, I think we're not judging ourselves and our boards aren't doing the jobs that they should be doing. I'm not a fan of a year over year budget. I think we should be looking at a 36 month rollover of whatever it might be for retention, second gift strategy, all those different questions and enabling our boards to look at that strategy because that's the only way these nonprofits are going to grow. And I would just say one sentence absolutely is important and everybody needs to have that in their retention. What's my role in making sure that people are within my realm, are going to be engaged with my organization and my mission. That's everybody's part and not just a few at the top. Yeah, I'm just going to echo the same, right? Retention is super critical at every level of right the pipeline. And not only looking at that, but then when you have second year retention for first time donors and those types of things, it's like when we think about growing a pipeline, filling and moving it, if you stay with the top line revenue, it's a dangerous place to just use that as your weather balloon. It's the simple question I always asked when I was in the nonprofit was, to our board was, do we want 10 donors giving $100 or do we want 100 donors giving $10, right? Like if you lose a $100 donor, you lose 10% of your program and opportunity impact. And yet if you lose a $10 donor, you're still out there, you're building relationships, you're going to find another $10 donor. Yeah, I very, 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 very few organizations will put retention as a KPI above revenue. And so essentially the way people keep their jobs is filling the leaky bucket, not by increasing the net number of people that stay with your organization. And I just see this as a huge missed opportunity. I think that people that understand data and technology, we look at individual giving as being really the highlight of the Giving USA report. Like individual giving is everything. Then why are we not using metrics that measure individual giving through other lenses than just money? And so I think getting down, and a lot of this is just this conversational and a wake-up call, you know, for our industry. So 
Eric, do you want to lead us through the? Some yeah, of the- we've got a couple. We got small questions. I think we've covered a couple of them as we've had this discussion. Is from once from Laura's Trask saying we have a small development team. We do not work with government grants, but we do all the communications for an active donor pool of about seven hundred. How many development staff should we have? I think I would just jump in and I say, you know, 20 years ago when I was in this space, I would hire a frontline gift officer to be able to go out there and do what we need to do. But today, having the access to all the technologies, AI, virtuous response, all the different components, I think I would focus our attention there and identify from there how many tech I would say hire Mina and you're good to go and she'll give you a little informed answer. This conversation is quickly changing, I think, in the last few minutes. <laughs> it really has. And then Ali, question from Tori, what data metrics should we track to increase retention? This is something I talk about a lot and I'm a huge firm believer in. I mean, literally, if you track net increases in retention, so year over year, how many people in your portfolio did you start with? How many people did you end? If you ended with a net increase in your retention of people that you kept along with you. And as long as the incentives are aligned, that will lead to increased dollars. And so Mm -hmm. it's super, super easy Yet very few organizations do that. So net increases in retention are key. Anything else, Jason or Mina, on that? I'll just call out the FEP, the Fundraising Effectiveness Project, if I can say that, and the Fundraising Fitness Test as well. So when you think about retention, right, thinking about, of course, who you have and are they remaining static? Are they increasing or decreasing year over year? And then again, multi-year retention. But yeah, Fundraising Effectiveness Project is fantastic to support with some tools. Yes. Yeah. And all that data is free and available. Just Google AFP fundraising effectiveness project. Yep. The last question, Nathan, you mentioned a dollar amount stated from the GoFundMe. Can you just state that again? Actually, not a dollar amount. It's one transaction per second, 24-7. I don't actually remember the actual dollar amount, but I did confirm with a high level person there recently that a very, very small percentage of those gifts go to a nonprofit. And so something to watch and to kind of model after. And my last question we have from Joseph is another major challenge for some orgs where you have traditionally older donors. How do we engage younger people to give to orgs where you always rely on older and wealthier donors? And we're, I'm looking at the clock because we're on the hour right now. So we're <laughs> anyone want to answer that? There's probably a lot of really great strategies there. So I don't know if this fully answers the question, but just thinking about younger donors, again, I'm just going to point forward. Nathan, you asked the question about technology and where it's going. So I know AI is a big buzzword. It's hot button and all these types of things. I'll just say getting involved in multi-channel and leveraging people so you can communicate. Because when you think about it, you need to deliver the message of your mission and meeting people where they are on the channels where they are and threading it through so you know them and can recognize and track the data. That's a big topic and data flow and all those types of things and reporting. But I just think multi-channel is critical and the technology moving forward is only going to make it less expensive and more possible. So I think pushing and not just sitting and staying, of course, contracting in years will have implications. But the point is, is keep pushing deeper into technologies that integrate well and uh, enable you to know a person to build a relationship. And I, I oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, and I'll connect it with the first point where we started, educating ourselves on the data, understanding what we are collecting, why we are collecting. The more we understand what we have, the better we'll be able to position ourselves to build relationships out with our community. I love it, Mina, 100%. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to our wonderful panel, our wonderful donor search, Virtuous, the organization. We're both sponsors and uh, supporters of the Giving Institute, which put out the Giving USA report. So we're grateful for all of that. You can see in the chat from our friend Ali, our marketing guru, she put all of our LinkedIn profiles in there. So please connect with us. Please, let's continue this conversation. Let's focus on growing generosity. I'm going to leave a parting shot for the rest of the team. Anything else you guys want to share? Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. I'm just so grateful for the conversation. And shameless plug for me, if this is a topic that interests you, go on Amazon, buy the Generosity Crisis. You'll have it in your doorstep tomorrow, and it dives deep into a lot of these issues. Not to say that we called it, but we called it. And, you know, and essentially, I think there's a lot of practical application of how do we get out of it. So, Eric, thank you for bringing us all together. Mina and Jason, thank you so much for all you do every day, but really coming together and sharing your wisdom with this group. And for everyone that listened in, thank you for all that you do every day to make the world a better place. There's a lot of other things you could be doing right now. And we're grateful that we are in a community of people that really care and want to make a difference in the world. 
Nathan, how, what do we always say? It was like, there's hope at the end of the generosity crisis and that's where responsive yes. fundraising is. Right. It's just, yep, it works out really well. So yeah. we're grateful for everyone's time today and looking forward to continuing this discussion online. Take care, everyone. Thank you. Thank Thanks you so much. Thank you. Bye. And that's a wrap, folks. Thanks for tuning in this week to the Responsive Nonprofit Podcast. We are so grateful for your time. We know how busy you are and consider it a privilege to journey alongside you as you work to make change in our world. We believe in you and would love to hear from you. Projects like this are only as good as the feedback we get, the guests who come on, and all the topics we get to discuss. So if you have an idea, if you know of an impactful guest that must come on the show, or if you want to be a part of the responsive community, check us out over at virtuous.org backslash podcast and join the conversation. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite station. Your mission needs your collective talent and passion. So go forth and lead the charge forward and we'll be here cheering you on. We'll see you next week.